Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, Good to be here with you. And um, before I get into today's message, uh, I want to do two things first. Um, I want to give you an update because many people keep asking me, how's your wife? How's your wife? And I want to give the update now uh, rather than answer 100 questions by all the people outside here and then online. If you're watching at home, my wife is close to coming home. So she's improved that much. I talked to her yesterday, and she made it sound, because you can't go in there. Uh, the doctor's saying it's day by day. She just has to get to a certain point where she doesn't need as much uh, airflow pumped into her, and she's close to that now. <clears throat> she will come home with oxygen, uh, so uh, I'll, when she comes home, I'll continue doing the wash and cleaning the floors and <laughs> washing the dishes, and as I've been doing now. I mean, I know. Um, it's a good thing she taught me how to do the wash while when I was while she was still here. When she was sick, I'd ask her questions. So I've um, been doing all that, and honestly, it helps keep me busy because the hard part is in the evening when she's not there. It's like okay, today's eleven days that she's been in the hospital, and so she's getting close. She's getting close to coming home. She sounded so much better on the phone yesterday than she has, and so we're all excited about that. We just we just want her home. We just want her home with us. Uh, The other thing I want to do today before I get into this is um, Friday uh, was Sanctity of Life Day uh, set aside uh, that we pray on that day and we remember. And Sanctity of Life is all about the unborn child in the womb. And uh, I'm a strong believer in the scriptures and the scriptures teach me that the baby at the moment of conception, they are a human, God is with them. And so we stand firm and strong on that, and I'm not ashamed to say that out loud. I've stood on that for since I've been a Christian. Um, that is a big battle in America, and it has been since 1973. Uh, we have seen in uh, 47 uh, years plus that uh, I think it's 41 to 50 million uh, babies have been aborted uh, in that time. And um, the reason why this is not just a heavy subject because they're taking a life, it's also a heavy subject because it puts America on a destructive path. And if you listen to the series I did on cultural quicksand late last year, one of the messages, in case you missed it, go back and listen to it. One of the messages I talked about <clears throat> why Israel, when they went into the promised land, God instructed them to destroy certain, all these people groups. And people can say, well, see how mean God is? No. When a person says that, they don't even know what's going on. Because if you study it out, you find out that these people in Canaan's land, this promised land, they were sacrificing children on the altar to Molech. They were killing their babies, putting them on hot, hot, burning hot arms. And the babies would scream as they're dying, and they'd play these loud drums to drown out the screaming of the babies. So God says, go in there, and you need to wipe that out, because that's not going to be part of your life. And God gave those people over 400 years to repent. That's how patient God is. I would would have been about 10 minutes patient. But God gave them that. And so they were destroyed because of that. And that gives me concern for my country. 
because we keep going down this road. Uh, we've consistently gone down this road. So it, it, it scares me because never forget, never forget this, that the economy is tied to morality. And, not, and never forget that. The morality of a nation is very important to God. An economy is tied to that. And that, that gives me a, a little bit of a fear of what's going to happen in our country in the future. So I want to pray. And I want to pray that, you know, somehow, someway, the, uh, the power of God, the Spirit of God, and it will be a battle if it happens that there will be an overturning of that Roe v. Wade decision back in 73. And that people will be allowed to live because <clears throat> there's so much spin put on things like they say it's, well, you, you've heard it. It's a woman's reproductive rights. It's a war against women. But notice those spin statements. You never talk about that baby. That baby is not even dialogue. And that baby is a life. And that's what should be primary above all things. We can't even begin to talk about human rights until we allow every person to be born and give them the right to live. And so never forget that right there. So we're going to pray right now. And, and you know, I need to add, too, that I, I, I always want to say this, that if you've had an abortion in the past, and you, you know, if you're a follower now, you know that was the wrong decision. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here at all. And, and you need to understand something, that that baby, it went straight to heaven because that baby's innocent. And you, as a follower of Christ, you're going to get to see that child one day as a grown-up. And there'll be no guilt, no condemnation, because our God is a redeemer and a restorer of all things. Amen to that one right there? So never forget that one. <clears throat> so let me go ahead and pray uh, for this, and then we'll get on with today's teaching. God, we live in, in times, God, when it pertains to the, the life of the child in the womb, God. We want to see every baby live. We want to see what all these children could, could be. Who knows what one of them could have been? Maybe they would have been the one to find cures for certain things. But we've aborted our own future. Who knows? And so I prayed that the decision of 47 years ago will one day be overturned. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that people right now contemplating abortion wouldn't do it. But instead, they would let that child live. Lord, you know that child at the moment of conception. In fact, before the foundation of the world, you saw what the child could be. It teaches us also that children are a gift from God. In other words, they're on loan to us. We have no right to end their life. They belong to God. And we're to do the best with them while we have them. And so, God, we just pray today that your will... Your will, God, be done in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. amen and amen. Well, today, or last week, I talked about, in this little two-week series, A Heart for the Hurting. And we talked about, in that story in Mark, how Jesus, because we're going to cover the second half today, Jesus saw, and then he felt, he felt compassion. And so when it comes to a heart for the hurting, and people, uh, you know, having a... Uh, um, a heart for a compassion for people you first got to see you got to open your eyes and look around it's easy to shut our eyes to these things but then not only do you look around and you see you also you you feel and there's a there's a compassion element to that 
that begins to motivate and it begins to move you and I to do something. Well, that's what we talked about last week. And so today in part two, we're going to talk about a place to belong because it just cannot be you look at them, you feel compassion. There's got to be a movement to action. And that's the second half of Mark that we're going to read in this particular story today. And so um, before I get into all that, what I want to do this morning is, I, how many like a good report? You like to hear good news. Anybody like that? I like good reports also. And so I thought we'd begin with the good report before I get into all these today's teaching. Because last year in 2020, it was, you, we all know it already. We've said it, heard it too many times. It was a weird year. The shutdowns, the quarantines, but as a church, it made us have to scramble and think, and how, how are we going to be able to minister to a community still while in quarantine? Because how many know the gospel cannot be quarantined? Amen? And so I want to share with you some of the highlights. This is not even close to everything that we did as a church, but I want to give you some as a point of good news today. That during the quarantine, we just kept on ministering outside. So here, here's what they are. When it comes to kids' ministry... Kids ministry last year, during Easter, they dropped off 60, for 62 families, they had Easter basket drop off for 124 children at Easter time. That's going out there and dropping it off at homes of people that asked. And then for the summer basket drop off, our kids ministry, they did 14 families and that was 27 kids. Now, our AV youth teenage ministry, they did 13 drive-by graduations for seniors. You know that they had 4.6 thousand views on YouTube, our student ministry? Isn't that crazy? Um, they also did 20 Christmas gifts through, through Angel Tree. Now, Angel Tree is when a, a, a kid, a child, has one or both parents in prison. So they did that to reach those kids there. And then these are just a little bit of all that. This is hardly nothing compared to all that, that really happened. Ab Church now. Av Church didn't get to plant last year because of the quarantine, because there are no buildings available. There still aren't. But what they did was they kept the ministry going. They did a meal kit outreach with the Mother Campus and them. 629 meal kits went to homeless people. And a lot of you donated those things. That's a really great thing. For Thanksgiving, uh, for the homeless and at risk, they did 75 dinners. They also, for the Riverside County Foster Youth Program, they had gifts, they donated 50 gifts to that program there. And this is all during the quarantine time. Now, our JV campus, a few little highlights there. They uh, had 13 families receive full boxes of food because they're high risk and they just can't go anywhere, so the food was brought to them. They had 100 plus families served through the trail and treat out there on the campus. And 12 people received gift cards for Christmas shopping through NBCC Harupa Valley Campus. So they, they kept the ministry going. That's just a little bit of all they did. Um, also, on a church-wide basis, Thanksgiving meals, this past Thanksgiving, there were 92. You know that 87 of those meals went to the Clark Terrace Senior Apartments on Lambton Lane? And do you know that we also sent Christmas stockings, 87 of them, to the Clark Terrace Senior Apartments? So we wanted to remember the people that sometimes aren't remembered. And also Inspire gift cards, 23 gift cards, but it totaled $3,450. Inspire is for those foster kids that are aging out of the foster uh, kid program, 
and they need things. And so all the gift cards you donated, we all put in there. It gave that, man, some of the gifts I saw you guys donate, it was, I wish you would have bought me those gifts, man. It was incredible. What, I'm going, wow, how generous. Um, and then um, we did Operation Christmas Child with the boxes, 172, which I thought was still a lot. We used to do about 250, 300, but with people not all coming to church, I mean, about three quarters of our congregation still doesn't come to church because of the COVID situation. Um, uh, but we did 172 boxes uh, through Operation Christmas Child. Those go all over the world to third world countries for children who otherwise wouldn't have a Christmas. And it's used to evangelize. You know the two groups from uh, here at Campus in Norco, I was part of it. I went down uh, one night, I think it was, it was in Orange County, to the distribution center, and we packaged all these boxes. And I thought to myself, I'm not saying we're going to do this. It would be great if we could. But there's way more than enough people here just at, at the Norco campus where one night we could go and take over that distribution center for the four-hour fragment of time. And we could do all the packaging ourselves in a four-hour period. We could easily get 100, 150 people down there. At least I think we could to package that. Now, I watch, amen. I watch people in wheelchairs packaging. So don't say, well, I don't know if I can. They're in wheelchairs. You, want, if we, you need a chair, we'll bring you a chair, okay? And, you know, I'm older, so my back was killing me by the end of it. But I made it, all right? Um, and then we did the YMC backpacks, 60 of them. We used to do way more, because of, but because of the quarantine, you know, that was always limited. Habitat for Humanity, where we go out and paint a, a mobile home for a senior, did those things. And then, um, and then the yard work, we wanted to do yard work for certain families and certain homes also. Now, that's a fraction of what we did last year in a quarantine time, as far as out in the community. I'm going to tell you one cool thing that's going to start this year. We have been okayed, and we have been okayed, now to be able to receive large amounts of food, where we now can start a food pantry feeding ministry to help families that just need more food. So now we've been okayed, and we're going to start to set that thing up and get that thing going. And I really am excited about that one right there because I always like feeding people or giving people the food that they need that they just don't have. Any amens on that? All right, so I just wanted to give a good report. And hopefully those of you at home, you clap too. Um, Mark chapter uh, 6, let me read the second half of the story from last week. And verse 30, 34 to 44, as we pick up the story, um, <clears throat> says this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Remember, he saw. And he felt compassion for them. He saw, then he felt. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees that they needed guidance and real, true spiritual direction. And he began to teach them many things. Notice the primary is going to be the spiritual food of the word of God. Amen? Then the secondary will be literal food. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and it's already quite late. So they're making logical assumptions. They're saying, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of people here. And there's no fast food places. 
And these people, you know, they're going to get a little bit hangry. Anybody get her get hangry? Okay, anybody know someone gets hangry? Okay, good. <clears throat> now, so they're saying, then they say this in verse 36. The disciples tell Jesus, we've figured out what you need to do is send them away. Tell them to go so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And it's logical, is it not? Jesus, we saw about three miles that way. A couple miles out, we saw Wendy's. They have a $5 meal. It's a great deal for these people. You send them away to go get some food. It's very logical. They're just looking at the situation and saying, this is probably what needs to be done. Verse 37. How many know that Jesus has this habit of telling us to do something that it goes against our logic at times? And so 37, it says, but he answered them. Here's what he says. He goes, you give them something to eat. Now, if you're the disciples, what's your first thought? What? There's, and we're going to find out there's 5,000 men there, not counting women and children. So we could say 12 to 15,000 people are there. Jesus says, you feed the people. And remember, it's a desolate place. Here's what they say to Jesus. Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Shall we spend 200 days worth of wages to bring food and give them something to eat? Is that what you want us to do? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they go and look and see all the food they have. They say, uh, we have five loaves and two fish. Now think of how ridiculous that is. They can't even feed the disciples. And here's what Jesus says in verse 39. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. Doesn't that remind you of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't that just like Jesus? Verse 40 says, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Now, I want to tell you something about that real quickly because whenever a preacher does commentary, it's dangerous, okay? Because I can go off all over the place. But let me, I just need to say something about that. He organizes the people into groups of 50 and hundreds. Why? Because when the food multiplies, he doesn't want it to be a madhouse, correct? So in other words, to experience a blessing, there's got to be organization. Any amens? That's true of your life individually and mine. To experience more blessing of God, we must be an organized, disciplined individual to handle the blessing of God, correct? Too many people ask, God, I want more money, I want more money. Well, what are you doing with your God? Well, I'm really in debt and I've charged all this up. And Is God going to give a person more money? No, because they're not organized in themselves to be able to handle what's coming next. A young man says, God, give me a wife, give me a wife. Well, every girl you've been with, you sleep with all the time. You're not organized morally. Why would God give you the right wife? Because all you're going to do is go do the same thing that you've always done. See, God says, organize your life, and then I can do the blessing and give the blessing to you in your life. Any amens on all that? Because I can keep going if you want to, okay? I'll get to you somewhere in there. No. Now, verse 41. It says, and he took the five loaves and two fish. Now Jesus has the stuff in his hand. Now it gets exciting, does it not? And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving to them, giving them to the disciples to set before them. He divided up the two fish among them all. Stop. Jesus, he takes it. This is our life right now. 
He blesses it. Are you not a blessed person as a follower? But then he breaks it. Have you noticed that God does some breaking in your life periodically? And he keeps doing it. And if he's not broken something in your life recently, something might be wrong in your relationship. Because he keeps breaking things and softening things and gets us to think like him. He takes it, he blesses us, he breaks us, and then what happens once we're broken and broken, we're able to be given out to others. Any amens? Your life is a blessing for others. And once you're broken and once you're soft, man, can God use you. Amen? Okay, you're not excited? Let me keep going. I am. Um, uh, verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. What? And they picked up, in other words, that's a miracle. And they picked up 12 full baskets of broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men, remember, not counting women and children, so there's a lot more, who ate the loaves. Now, I have three points today. Two of them are pretty quick. The last one I want to spend a little more time on. I'm going to give you the fill-ins right now. You want the fill-ins? Okay. There, each one is one word. The first one is you. The second one is us. The third one is me. You, us, me. Those are your three fill-ins. There we go. So here we go. Number one in your notes. There's a requirement that is stated in these verses, and that is you. And I'm included in the you. You includes all of us, everybody here. Now, verse 37 says this. Read it with me. It says, okay, you got to give me more now. Come on. Here we go. One, two, three. You. Give him something. That's right. You. The disciples tell Jesus, send them all away. Correct? Yeah, correct? correct? Now, so Jesus says, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. In other words, don't, don't pass it off on someone else, okay? You got to do something about it now. Now, let me tell you um, why, uh, a couple reasons why I think people do not jump in and get involved. I've been around a long time, so I can pretty much back up these things. But let me give you a couple reasons why. First off, if Jesus, um, if you're a disciple and you see 12 to 15,000 people and you bring Jesus five loaves and two fish, do you really think that's going to work? There's no way. You feel like this is not enough, it's not adequate, we're going to fall flat on our faces. Now think about that. What keeps some people from being involved? I don't have what it takes. I'm not adequate. I'm not capable. I don't have enough. Something's going to go wrong. I'm a five-loaf, two-fish person. Let me tell you something about that. That's okay. Because God's strength is made strong in our weaknesses. That where your and I are abilities end, that's where the Spirit of God takes off. Any amens? And you'll find that to be true. That God just wants willing people, not perfectly five-tool-player spiritual people, just wants willing people. Just be willing. But let me tell you the other reason why I think people do not get involved in any kind of ministry whatsoever, and we're all called to be ministers. One day, a guy or multiple people come up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we'll follow you anywhere. But first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Now, somebody is going to say, well, that's pretty mean. No. The assumption is the dad's still alive and isn't even sick. The guy says, when I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll come way later after all these years and all this happens. Jesus says, no. 
Another guy says, well, let me first go say bye to my family. He goes, no, 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 right now. See, what these two guys are really saying in the story when they say, we'll follow you anywhere, what they're saying is this. You know, I, I'll do your plan, but I got this plan first. I got my thing going on first, and I don't have time yet to fully, fully follow your plan. Anybody ever seen that movie, Evan Almighty? I, I really like that movie. It's a modern-day Noah. If you've never seen it, you need to see it. It's a, it, it's a pretty cool movie. You may hate it, but I like it. But there's that one scene where Morgan Freeman, he plays God. And Steve Carell, he's the modern-day Noah. And it's, so, it's such a great interaction because Steve Carell says to Morgan Freeman, when Morgan Freeman's telling him, you're going to build this boat, you're going to build this ark, you know. And he goes, no. And then he tells Morgan Freeman, who is God, he says, he goes, but I have plans. And Morgan Freeman, who plays God, he looks at him and says, and he starts laughing. <laughs> he says, you have plans. He goes, that's funny. And I thought, that's just like us, huh? I got plans, God. Can you imagine telling God, God, I have plans. And he would say, oh, that's pretty funny. You have plans. Oh, wow. And I think that's one of the things that holds us back. We have this whole agenda and plan of our lives and we haven't looked to see what does God want for my life? What does He want me to do? So it begins with the you. It all starts with you and with me. He's calling. You give them some deed. But that moves to point two. And that in point two is that there are relationships developed. That's the us factor. Now, they scramble. They get five loaves. They get two fish. Jesus blessed it. And He says in verse 41, He says this. Read it with me. He says, And He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples and said before them and he divided up the two fish among them all okay now they are now they've gone from you to us now they're forming a team now they're gathering food and they give it to Jesus and Jesus takes it and he blesses it and he multiplies it. And now, as they've organized people, the disciples are working as a team. That's the us factor. Let me tell you something about serving. And some of you already know this. When you serve shoulder to shoulder with people that you really didn't know at all, you develop a lot of us friendships. Any amens? If you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, you will be tempted to skip over chapter 3. Because it's a very repetitious chapter. Almost boring. But it isn't. Because as they're building the wall, Nehemiah decides to write chapter 3. And chapter 3 says this, and next to him, so-and-so built. And next to him, so-and-so built. And next to him, so-and-so built. And he goes to the whole wall. And you're tempted to say, I, I've had enough. I, I, I'll move to chapter four now. But it's a great chapter to show you the us factor. That people are shoulder to shoulder and they're serving and they're doing something to build the kingdom of God. Let me tell you. 
I've made my best friendships serving with others. They're, they're, they're my best friends. There was a time when I didn't even know them. I respect them. I trust them with my life. I know they take a bullet for me. I take a bullet for them. Our friendships don't just exist here on this campus. The friendships we built in the us factor as a team, serving together, they transcend the building where we hang out together here and there. And I enjoy spending time with them. I always feel for people that never jump in. They never find a place to belong. They just never do it because they don't build that us factor. They never develop these friendships that could have been. Can I tell you even a deeper secret of fellowship within serving? That you know that you do not heal quite as fast unless you're in community. Did you know that? Well, Jim, I don't need healing. I'm physically healthy. I'm talking about emotionally, relationally. Well, Jim, I don't need that. Everybody needs it. We're all fallen people. I don't care who you are, where you came from. We all need it. Because none of us is Jesus Christ. You heal in community. It's a great thing. Because in the community of the believers, you may have some bad flaws to your life, but they'll still love you. Any amens? And they'll love you into health. And that's a great thing. And I'm sad for people that never, ever experience that. Because every church is a place to belong. Every church is an us factor if you just choose to get in and be part of it. And I pray that we do that. Now, the third thing is this. The result, the result received is me. Now it goes from you give them something to eat. Now us, we're passing out the food. But then there's a result, something I receive in the me factor, and that's this. They pass out the food to all these people, and there's leftovers. How many like leftovers? I do too. How many like pizza leftovers? But wait, do you put it in the microwave or the toaster oven? Oh, calm down, okay? How many microwavers? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a problem right there. How many toaster ovens? How many cold? That's another problem right there, okay? okay? I'm a toaster oven guy, and I like it crispy. In fact, I'm weird. I will buy a pizza. If I have my way, I'll put, if it's my pizza, I'll put it in the refrigerator when I bring it home. I want it to get cold, then I take it out and put it in the toaster oven because I want it toasty. <laughs> Just the way I am. I know it's weird, right? But it makes perfect sense in my head, okay? And that's all that matters, all right? Now, Jesus is in the leftovers, and they pick up all these leftovers. Question, when the disciples are passing out food and everybody's eating, did the disciples eat too? Say yes. So they're satisfied, right? But they also pick up the leftovers. And how many baskets left over are there? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Oh, oh. So each one of them gets a basket. Now, the Greek word for basket there is like a little lunch box. How many used to take a little lunch pail to school when you're... Do they still have those things now? They still do, huh? Okay, okay. Yeah, they each get like a lunch pail left over. So they, get, they, re, they, got, they were satisfied and they received. Okay, now, <clears throat> I got two stories. You ready for them? Okay, good. 
So when I was at home all this time, and um, and when Olivia comes home, I'll probably be home a lot. Have to work from home, and like I said earlier, do the wash and clean the floors. And <laughs> so you have time, and you know, you're, like I said last week, all these movies come on. And a movie came on that I hadn't seen in years, and I always loved this movie. And I thought, man, I just love it. I'm going to watch that one. It was Field of Dreams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you've never seen Field of Dreams, you need to watch it, okay? It's a fantasy. You've got to suspend reality, but you just need to watch it. And it's going to kick you in the end, man. But the movie starts out with Kevin Costner, and he's, he, he farms corn in Iowa. And he hears the voice. What does the voice say? Come on. If you build it, he will come. He doesn't know what that means. But he starts to narrow it down to the point that he believes he's supposed to clear out part of his cornfield, which is his cash crop, and build a, a, a major league type baseball field diamond there for the 1919 Chicago White Sox to come and play. That's crazy, huh? But he does it. And then, there's other things that happen. It says, you know, go the distance. And he, he goes and he gets James Earl Jones, who in that, in that fantasy movie is a writer from the 60s. And he gets him to come to Iowa too. They go to a Red Sox game, everything. And they come to Iowa. And the Chicago White Sox, what they do, this 1919 team, which was accused of throwing the World Series, and Shoeless Joe Jackson, the main one, he's the one who was kicked out, basically, back then. They come out of the cornfield in center field, remember? And they're there watching them play baseball. All these players from a long time ago, and they're watching them play baseball. And James Earl Jones can see them. Kevin Costner can see them. Kevin Costner's wife, the kids. But no one else can see them. And so they think Kevin Costner's crazy. And so, the long story short, very end of the movie, the Chicago White Sox, it's twilight, the lights are on. <laughs> they walk out, leave the field, walk into the cornfield, and they always disappear before they come back the next day. But Shoeless Joe Jackson's still there. And he looks at Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones, and he said, hey, you want to go in there with us? Kevin Costner says, me? <laughs> Shoeless Joe says, no, him, James Earl Jones. And Kevin Costner's upset, and he starts ranting and raving. He goes, I've done everything. I've done everything I was told. I did all this. I made the field. I did this. I followed the voice. I did everything. He says, what's in it for me? And Shulis Joe says, is that what you did it for? Did you do it for yourself? And so James Earl Jones going on the field. And Kevin Cotton says, I want a full report of what's out there. And James Earl Jones goes into the cornfield. Shulis Joe Jackson hasn't left the field yet. And as he's walking away, Shoeless Joe says, if you build it, he will come. And Kevin Costner says, it was you 
Meaning you, it was, you were the voice. It was you. Shoeless Joe says, no, Ray. It was you. In other words, this was all for you. You just didn't realize it. And then Kevin Costner, he sees one of the players, a catcher, taking off his equipment. And when Kevin Costner sees the man, as a young man, he goes, he tells his wife, oh no. That's my dad. This is before he got older and he broke down. Because you, you find out in the beginning of the movie that Kevin Costner had a big blowout fight with his dad over a game of baseball catch. And Kevin Costner stormed out. And the big guilt of his life was, I never got to make it right. So when Shoeless Joe says, no, it was you, Ray. This is for you. Then Ray walks on the field. And he starts dialoguing. He says, hey, you want to you have a catch? And the dad says, and Ray says, you want to catch dad? And dad says, I'd like that very much. You see, Ray was the you. You do this. Plowed the field. He brought his wife, James Earl Jones. It became this us factor with all the players. All the separate he put in. And finally, in the end, he received something. He received a reconciliation, he received a healing in his life. All part of the you, us factor because he obeyed the voice. You see, when we serve, we obey the voice of God, obey his word, we receive. It was 1945. The Germans surrendered. So we were occupying Berlin now along with the Russians. There was a pilot, an American pilot, who'd fly into Berlin. His name was Gail Halverson. One day when he was on the ground, he noticed children on this other side of this fence. They're just looking at him. He knew he only had a couple pieces of gum in his pocket and there was a lot of kids. Pulls a couple pieces of gum out of his pocket, gives one to one kid, one to another. He says, those kids, each one took the gum, cut off a little piece for themselves and pass it to the next kid. He saw that. It so moved him. He said to them, I'm going to come back and I'm going to drop candy from my plane for you guys, so be ready. They go, they ask, how will we know it's you? He says, I'm going to wiggle my wings. That's how you'll know it's me. He comes back. He drops the candy. His squadron of pilots find out. 
they all take their candy rations and they donate it. And they take their handkerchiefs and they make parachutes for the candy. So he comes flying over every week and he drops the candy and the parachutes and the kids are down there waiting. Kids in the United States, they get word and wind of this. They start gathering candy. They start making the parachutes. And they send it over. They're doing this every week, every week. Do you know that in all, 23 tons of candy, 250,000 parachutes were dropped. Here's what Gail Halverson, the pilot that started all that, said. I have to read it to you because I won't get it exactly right if I don't. He said this. If we get outside ourselves in the road of life for somebody who is struggling more than you are, and we all struggle, but there are people with greater struggles. He says, then you're going to be rewarded in a way that you'll never know. It started with you. You, Gail Halverson. You bring those kids candy. And when he obeyed, then it moved into us, the squadron and all the kids back home. This whole team became, this whole group of people became a team. And then there was the me factor. He says, you'll be rewarded in a way you'll never know. If you never serve others, if you never jump in and make this a place to belong, you'll never know. You'll never know the experience and the reward that you get inside of helping other people. You'll never know why you were created, huh? You'll never find that purpose, ultimately. It starts with you. And then you become an us. And then God says, I'm going to reward you through me. He's calling every one of us into a place to belong. A place to belong. To know what these people felt. To know what Gail Halverson felt. I pray you jump in. Let's pray. Lord, whether they're here in person or watching online, quarantine, COVID or not, the kingdom of God must advance. We're called to be a part of an us. New Beginnings is a place to belong. It's a place to jump in and rub shoulders with other people and serve. And then watch how God rewards in ways that we couldn't have comprehended. pray for all of us in 2021 that we do this that we do this 
Because that voice is always calling. The Spirit of God is always nudging us inside. Will we pay attention? Will we open our eyes and look around and feel and feel compassion? And will we be moved to action? And not say like the disciples, um, send them away, send them away. Let somebody else do it. No, Jesus tells everyone of us, you give them somebody. You do something. If you're a follower of Christ, you do something. That's my heart as the lead pastor. That you would experience that because it's a great thing. It's just fantastic. Plans? Get on God's plans. Feel inadequate? It's okay. The Spirit of God takes over from there. God, thank you for this day for your goodness, for your greatness to us, God. I pray that we take this challenge with us. Because you said the greatest among you is the servant. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen and amen. Stand up with me if you could. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.